Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard Podcast. Our mission is simple. Find God, find others, find yourself. That's it. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information on Reveal, you can visit our website at www.revealvineyard.com. Isaiah was seeing into a future time. Now remember, I said last week that when a prophet spoke, he was not speaking of his own accord, but that he was being inspired by God. And so it really is God who is speaking through Isaiah, saying that a day is coming when my son will make his appearance and then tells us exactly what his child, what his son would be like. And it is God saying, listen carefully because his name will reveal his character. And he says, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But our series is not God calls him. Our series is not the Bible calls him or it's, it's not what your pastor calls him. It's not about what your spouse or parents or anyone close to you calls him. Our series is I call him. And we're asking the question, what do you call Jesus? Who is he to you? And what do you call him through your experience, through your faith, and through your understanding? Can you call him Wonderful Counselor? Last week we looked at that idea of Wonderful Counselor. Hebrews, and the Hebrew, Counselor is Yates. It means to advise or to consult or to guide. Wonderful, we said, was a little bit more difficult. The, the word is Pele, which does not necessarily indicate just marvelous or excellent or wonderful or great. In other words, he's not the marvelous counselor, is not who Isaiah was speaking of. Pele is astonishing beyond understanding. Go to that next slide there, Wayne. Something uncommon, astonishing beyond understanding, out of the ordinary, a miracle or wonder. And so Isaiah, 700 years before the advent or the appearing of Jesus, said the one who is coming is the astonishing counselor. The one who counsels beyond human understanding. The one who is our miraculous counselor, who counsels uh, the counselor who works wonders. Meaning the counsel and direction and wisdom that Jesus wants to impart over our lives is beyond human understanding. So the question we ask is, can you call him wonderful counselor? And we said that the only way that we can call him wonderful counselor is if we are heeding his counsel. I encourage you just to step down from the CEO role of your life. Put him in charge. See, if, if we hear his counsel and say, thank you for the advice, but I'm going to do my own thing, we really can't call him our miraculous counselor. When Isaiah spoke these words, it was an extremely dark time for the people. A time of despair and wandering, and they had sunk into a famine. Not a famine of food, but a a famine of hope. The people were in despair. Hope was taken from them. They were in a spiritual famine of sort from bad leadership and from the idolatry of the people. They found themselves in a position where they were in a spiritual fog. And Isaiah speaks these words over a nation saying that God in his faithfulness is going to turn around the situation that you find yourself in today. And so I want to read you the five verses that come before Isaiah 9, 6. On the edge of darkness, God reveals that he is going to do something new, and he describes it in this way. First, he says, there will be an end to darkness and despair, Isaiah 9, 1. Nevertheless, 
that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. You can, you can get this image that Isaiah is saying, there's a time when, when, when Galilee will be filled with something so unbelievable we can't put it into words. Now, what is he talking about? Go to the map there. You can see uh, Nazareth is uh, the red circle. That's where Jesus spent his time as a child growing up. Galilee, nope, go back please. Galilee is the surrounding area. It's, it's the region uh, that Nazareth is in. If you want to see a larger uh, image of that, we'll go to that next slide. And you can see kind of a larger shot of Israel. Uh, Galilee is in the northern part, Samaria, Judea, and then Jerusalem is in the green circled part. And so Isaiah speaking several hundred years into the future saying a day is coming where Galilee will be filled with glory. And then he goes on in verse 2 and he speaks that those in darkness will see a light. He says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And then he talks about joy replacing mourning and despair. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. Then in verse 4 he says, the power of the enemy that is currently over you will be broken. It says, for you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warriors and the uniforms, blood stained by war, will be burned for they will be fuel for the fire. And then Isaiah says, and here's why it's all going to turn around. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Some 700 years before the arriving, the appearing of Jesus, Isaiah says, the one who is coming, the child who is coming, will be a game changer. In other words, don't let the cute, cuddly baby in the manger fool you. There's something special about the son who is coming. It is God stepping into humanity. Today we're looking at, I call him Mighty God. We're asking the question, can you call him Mighty God? And what does that mean? Word for mighty there is gabor in Hebrew. It means powerful, mighty, strong. And by implication, it means a warrior, a hero, or a champion. Proven, undefeated in battle. Isaiah tells us, not only is he your miraculous counselor, but, but who, who guides and leads, but when the battle line is drawn and your enemy stands against you face to face, mighty God stands with you, powerful and strong, undefeated in battle, a champion who does not shrink back from his enemy. He is Gabor Ael, mighty God who fights for the ones he loves. You may not realize it. You might be here today and you may be oblivious to this fact that there is a spiritual enemy who seeks to do you harm. There is a spiritual enemy who seeks to rob you of joy and to steal hope from you and to ruin your relationships and to tear apart and divide your family. And in a time like that, I don't need a Jesus that needs to be rescued and protected. 
It's in times like that that I don't need a weak, vulnerable, powerless God, but I need a mighty God who is a miracle-working God, a Satan-defeating God, a circumstance-changing God, and an overcoming God. And Isaiah says, that is the Son who is coming. I fear that both inside and outside of the church, that we have lost sight of the mighty God that Isaiah described and we've ran them through Photoshop, and we've decreased the saturation, and, and we've, we've adjusted the contrast, and, and we've cropped a little bit here, and we've added a little bit there, and we gave him this pearly white Mentos smile with wavy hair, and put a little lamb in his arm, and we exported him and fed him to the churches that worship. But that's not the Jesus that we see throughout Scripture. It's not the Jesus that Isaiah spoke of. And I wonder if we've, if we've traded mighty God for Build-A-Bear Jesus, right? He's cute, and he's cuddly, and he's fuzzy, but he's powerless and inferior and beaten down and vulnerable and desperate and defenseless and politically correct, all-affirming, lame duck. Uh, Can't we just all get along? Helpless Jesus who needs to be rescued and protected by those who follow him. Can I remind us on this Advent season that the Jesus that we follow does not need to be protected nor rescued We see it in in Matthew 19. Jesus uh, is there. And all of the children, children start coming. And his disciples step in as if they're his security detail. And they're like, children, stand back. And Jesus is like, really, boys? I don't need to be protected from the children. Let them come to me. And then in the garden, when he's arrested, Peter steps in front of Jesus, sword in hand, and takes off the ear of the soldier. And Jesus says, Peter, I can fight my own battle. Picks up the ear, puts it back on the soldier. When Jesus was telling the disciples clearly that he was about to be crucified, arrested, beaten, and crucified, Peter stepped in to protect Jesus from himself. And rebuked Jesus and said, it shall never happen in the way that you say. And Peter's like, Peter, Jesus is like, Peter, we got a problem. I don't need you to protect me. I don't need you to stand in the gap for me. And I think oftentimes that, that that's, that's somewhat how, how we view our Savior today. That my place, though, is not in front of Jesus with a sword. My place is Jesus before me with a sword. My position is not as Jesus' advocate and defender, but as he, him being my advocate and my defender. And this Christmas, when you see the baby in the manger, just see a mighty God. See a champion, undefeated in battle, a hero, a warrior that fights for those he loves. Now let's talk about what this means with the time we have left. What does mighty God mean for those who call him Lord? The first one is that mighty God possesses supreme and ultimate authority. In other words, there is nothing outside of his control, nothing that usurps his authority. He is in no danger of being overthrown, overtaken, or pushed aside. His final words to his disciples, Matthew 28, Jesus said, All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth sits here, rests with me, has been given to me. I have complete authority over everything seen and everything not seen. Listen how Paul says it in Ephesians, one of the most powerful passages, in my opinion, in the New Testament. 
He says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Now listen to verse 21. Far above all rule, all authority, all power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come, and he put all things under his feet. Listen to it again. Paul says, far above all rule and all authority and all power and all dominion and above every name that has ever been named that in the past, in the present, or in the future age to come. And he put all things under his feet in this exquisite passage. It's almost as if the Apostle Paul was searching for words that could grasp a hold of the authority and dominion that rests upon Jesus. It's almost like he's saying, I can't find a word that is befitting to who I'm trying to describe. I can't put it into, so I'm going to just hit everything I can. The great sense is that Jesus is exalted to the highest conceivable dignity and honor. That is mighty God. This is who Isaiah spoke of. The wonderful counselor, And mighty God, possessing supreme authority and power of all that is and all that is to come. He possesses power not only to create, but the power to sustain. Look at Colossians. He says, for by him all things were created. That's authority. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities... All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Right? Science searches for the center of the universe, the beginning of all things. That's what, you know, they got these superconductors now somewhere back in Europe where they're trying to slam things in at at speed of light, speed. And people are afraid it's going to open up some time warp and Mothra is going to come out. I don't know what they're afraid of. And because they're searching for the center of existence, the beginning of all things, that which holds all things together. But it's not a what, it's a who. And Paul is telling us that, look, Not only did he create it, but he sustains it. And in him, everything is held together. A mighty God, it means that he is limitless in power. Power of Jesus. Just read through the Gospels and you'll see how his power was limitless. John 4, he heals the official son just by speaking the word. Doesn't even go to to see the child. Just says, go, your child is, is well. Luke 4, he drives out an evil spirit. Matthew 8, he heals all who were sick that came to him. John 5, he feeds 5,000 plus people with a sack lunch. Mark 2, he heals a paralyzed man. And Matthew 12, he heals a man with a wizard, withered hand. And Luke 8, raises Jairus' uh, daughter from the dead, brings back to life. Matthew 12, he walks on water. Even in his absence in Acts 3, Peter is going into the temple to give his famous sermon. And as he passes by, there is a, a, a lame beggar who is there that cries out for something. And even in his absence, look at how it is recorded. Peter says, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise and walk. 
in the name, even in his absence, his power is limitless here. When you think of Jesus, don't let the baby in the manger fool you this season. Think mighty God. Think reversing the irreversible, fixing the unfixable, doing the undoable, beating the unbeatable, moving the unmovable. Think saving the unsavable and changing the unchangeable, and then you will just begin to scratch the surface of mighty God. That is the God that Isaiah spoke of clearly to us that is coming. The third, mighty God rules over Satan. If you look at Luke 11, Jesus encounters a man who was demon-possessed. And he casts out the demon, and the people began to speak, saying, he casts out a devil through the power of the devil. And so, so, so that the man has the devil, but Jesus has a stronger devil and casts out the weaker devil because of the devil that is in him. And Jesus begins to set them straight in Luke 11. He says, but if I am casting out demons by the power of God, which of course is what he was doing, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. Meaning, if, if I am casting them out by the power of God, then the kingdom is here. We've talked about the kingdom. It's not a location. It's, it's wherever the king is, the kingdom follows. And so Jesus says, when I cast out demons, it's because the king is here and the kingdom has come. Now listen, this is great. Verse 21. He says, for when a strong man like Satan is fully armed and guards his palace, his possessions are safe. Now catch this. Jesus is clearly saying that Satan has some authority and he has some muscle. He said, look, when when Satan is fully armed and guards his palace uncontested, his possessions are safe. I love verse 22 because there's an until. Jesus says, until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him, strips him of his weapons and carries off his belongings. Hey, this Advent season, here's what you need to know. Jesus has the muscle. And whatever Satan has over us or on us or whatever is coming against us, Jesus says, yeah, he has some authority. But when mighty God shows up, I'm going to show you who really has the muscle. And I love that passage. I love the imagery of Jesus walking in and just kind of cleaning house. And like, yeah, you thought you were tough, but let me show you who really is strong, undefeated in battle. Where do you need a little muscle today? And then we also see mighty God means power over death. Even when it seems like the last great attack from Satan has come against us, death, it's really no problem for mighty God because he turns death into a doorway. 1 Corinthians 15. When the perishable puts on the imperishable. Anyone feel like your body is perishing If you're over 35, maybe hitting 40, you know exactly what I'm saying. And if you're younger than that, one day you're going to hit about 35, 38, and you're going to step out of bed, and you're going to be like, oh, that hurts. Because your body is perishing. I'm coaching soccer uh, at Willow. It's soccer season. And Friday, I got out and ran with the boys and, and was playing with them. And the entire time while I'm playing, not lying to you, in my mind I'm thinking, getting old sucks. Because everything hurt within my body. Every step, every time I kicked the ball. And the boys were like, come on, coach, come on. I'm like, you don't understand. One of them had his shirt off, and, and I said to him, I said, hey. I said, when you're 40, I want you to find me wherever I'm at. And I want to see what that body looks like when you got a keg around your middle section. He's like, it'll never happen, coach. I'm like, okay. We'll see what that's going to be like. 
When the perishable puts on the imperishable, meaning there's a time when I step out of that which is perishing and step into that which will never perish. He says, and the mortal puts on, the, puts on immortality. And then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? See, I've stood over a lot of graves. I've done a lot of funerals. I've been with a lot of families as they as they've said their last goodbye. And what is amazing to me that even when it seems like Satan's final push was a victory, for those who are followers of Christ, Jesus says, it is actually not his victory, it is your greatest victory. That mighty God says, even death doesn't hold me. And because I am in you, even death does not hold you. And so even in what seems like the worst case scenario, and some of you, you've lost loved ones. And my reminder, the good news, is that mighty God says death means nothing to me. And that I turn death into a doorway that leads to greater life. I leave us with this. The first advent or appearing of Jesus was in a manger. His second advent, or his second coming, is what we now wait for. We wait for his appearing again. His first advent, he came as a suffering servant, but his second advent mm, looks a little different. Look at Revelations 19. John the Revelator gets a vision into a heavenly realm, and this is what he writes. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there, And its rider was named Faithful and True. It's Jesus. That's who he's speaking of. For he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. And his eyes were like flames of fire. And on his head were many crowns. And a name was written that no one understood except himself. Woo! Come on, just say that with me. Woo! That's strong right there. There's something on him. He's tatted up. I don't know. But there's something on him that no one gets except for Jesus. And if it's not disrespectful, when I see him, I want to Jesus, you can tell me, what does it mean? I mean, that's just like, it just grips me that there's so much might and so much power and mighty God. There's something on him that no one even understands except himself. And he wore a robe dipped in blood. And his title was the Word of God, right? Going back to John 1. And the armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. And from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe, at his thigh, was written this title. King of kings and Lord of lords. Where do you need a mighty God in your life today? Don't let the little baby in the manger fool you. Mighty God. Fighting for those he loves. So where do you need mighty God in your life today? What situation are you going through? Take a moment. Let's take a moment and close your eyes.
kind of just wait before God a moment. Where is it that you need mighty God to show himself? And I'm sure for some of us, many of us possibly, that something was, something came to mind, you're in a situation. I'm going to ask that you'd be bold, I won't ask you to come to the front, but I'm going to ask that you would just stand where you are as, as your church family is going to pray for you. I don't want you to be shy, I don't want you to be embarrassed, we value trans, uh, uh, being uh, transparent with one another. We value not putting up false fronts, and so you're just saying, I have a situation in life where I need mighty God to show himself. Thank you for being vulnerable. And I stand there with you. So reveal, now you're going to be the church. And I want everyone who's standing to have someone in the church around them. And just as a sign of support, I want you to put a hand on their shoulder as we pray. And so I'm going to ask, church, you don't, it's not your time to be shy, time to be embarrassed. We're a church family under the banner of Christ. And when our family is burdened, we all are burdened. So if you would get up and go over to someone. I'm not going to ask you to pray. You don't need to be embarrassed. Please do not let someone who took the courage to stand, to stand there alone. Need some down front here, please. We're going to pray for you. And we're going to stand in agreement for you. And there are things that are upon some of your shoulders that are heavy and it presses in around you and it takes your breath away. And I want you to know that your church stands with you. And even greater than that, Gabor Ail, mighty God, stands with you. And so, Father, we come before you and we ask that you, who knows exactly what the situation is and what they're going through and the turmoil and the stress and the anxiety and the thoughts and the what-ifs and whatever it may be in their life, you know. And we, collectively, as your children, we pray on their behalf and ask that you would come, mighty God, and you would bear your mighty arm and show yourself strong in their situation. Whatever it would look like, whatever, it is need, whatever is needed, that you, mighty God, undefeated in battle, champion and hero, would appear. I think of Psalm 35.1, and I pray this for our church that stands. That you would contend with those who contend with them, and you would fight against those who fight against them. Psalm 35, 1, God, that you would contend with those who contend with them and you would fight against those who fight against them. Whatever that looks like, whatever that means, that is our prayer. You, mighty God, go before us.
I pray that situations begin to change. Things begin to come into focus. We begin to see the hand and the move of mighty God in our lives. We pray for your word to go forth. As Isaiah says, that your word is like a fire and like a hammer which shatters the rock. And we pray for the word of God to be spoken. For the word of God to come into that situation and shatter that which has been strong and unmovable. And you would break it into pieces. Show yourself, mighty God. Would you show yourself strong in their situations? Now I want you to look at me. You stay standing with uh, with them. Sometimes, in order for God to step in as the mighty God, we have to first make Him our wonderful Counselor. In other words, there are times we want God, come on God, step in, step in and do this. And God's like, but here's what, I, here's what you need to do. And I really can't step in because you put yourself in a situation that, I, I, that I, I can't step into that because you're outside from under my banner, under my will, under my desires for you. But if you'll step in and make me your miraculous counselor by heeding my advice for you, then mighty God will come in. Now, I know that's not for everyone. Some of you, it's a spiritual attack that the enemy has brought against you, and and mighty God is going to appear on, on that scene. But for some, I felt like I just have to tell you, for some, we're really good as believers asking for God to come in as mighty God, but we're mighty, you know, wonderful counselor part. Can I just do my own thing, but you still be mighty God? Yeah, it doesn't really work like that. Church, I bless you. Those of you standing, those of you who stood, those of you standing with them, those of you in your seats, those who are traveling, uh, I bless you as your pastor, as your friend. I speak a blessing over you. And the blessing is, is that you would have a greater understanding of your peleates, your miraculous, astonishing counselor who seeks to guide you and lead you. And I speak over you the blessing of your Gabor Ale, your mighty God, undefeated in battle, a hero and a champion. That you and I would call him that without reservation. That we call him that through experience and through faith and through understanding. I bless you, church, in the name of the Messiah. Jesus, the Son who appeared to us. I bless you.